You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. I was going to throw some candy at you as well, but Sarah's candy is much better and probably fresher. Ours came out of like some cupboard hidden. It's been, been in the cupboard too long. So Ellen said, ah, oh, just bring that and pass it out. Way to go. So we're confessing already. No, no, there's some good candies there, Andy's mints and so forth. If you have your Bibles, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, we're diving in. We chose to do a mini-series in First uh, Thessalonians 2. Why? Because Paul is sharing the values he has for biblical leadership. And folks, the relevance for these values in us is far-reaching. You know, it doesn't matter if you're an elder life group leader. Uh, certainly working in kids' ministry, youth ministry, in the community, uh, an employer, an employee, parents, kids, teens at school. These values transcend uh, apostolic ministry. They're values we all can embrace. Now, why did Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 spend a fair amount of time sharing his pastoral heart, mentoring this model church, discipling them? Well, basically, there's one reason. He had some jealous Jews pursuing him when his team planted the church in Thessalonica. Remember that? And that was the pattern all through the book of Acts. I hope you recall that. But not only that, because these Jews couldn't destroy the message, right? The message took hold. The church was planted. They became an example uh, to everyone in Macedonia, Achaia. They started preaching the good news. So these Jews were frustrated. They rallied a mob, kicked Paul and his team out of the city. But then they went to layer two. They said, if we can't destroy the message, here's what we're going to do. We're going to destroy the messenger. We're going to take his name out, his credibility out. And so some in the church, sadly, listened to these jealous Jews. And Paul writes in these first 12 to 16 verses from his heart saying, hey, I just want to bring clarity. I want you to know, church, how I came to you. I want you to know my values as a biblical leader, as an apostle, as an evangelist, but also as a pastor who cares deeply for you. And so we looked at two values. Here's the third one. I hope you have your connect card. And again, the relevance of this is far-reaching. So the third value that Paul brings to us is this. Lead valuing shepherding, not ruling over God's people. And if you know your Bible, Jesus addressed this. He says, you know, the Gentiles, they like to lord it over. They like to rule. Jesus says, don't do it like that. Come as a servant. And then he basically gives his mission statement. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Apostle Peter captured this beautiful truth. Let me share it with you. It's on the screen. 1 Peter 5, he says, Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders. Now, this is specifically to the elder shepherds, pastors of the church, Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing, not a compulsion, but freely, willfully, according to God's will. Not for the money, but eagerly. And notice this next phrase. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So we see this theme in scripture that, boy, have a heart of a shepherd. And we're going to talk about the attributes, what that looks like. But in contrast, not lording it over, not being oppressive to people like the Gentiles did. I don't know if I've ever introduced my mentor and pastor. His name is Pastor Bob Lowry. He's uh, with the Lord in glory. I had the privilege to serve with him for 11 years. And he took me under his wing. And uh, just a beautiful man. Deeply respect him. This is June, his wife. We see June periodically. She's in her 90s still, uh, you know, living for Jesus. What a blessing. But I'll never forget, we're in the mid-80s right now. I fly into uh, Cincinnati from Buffalo, New York, and I'm meeting for the first time a lead pastor who might want to bring on a youth associate guy. So Bob picks me up in northern Kentucky. We, we drive into uh, Cincinnati, beautiful skyline, the Ohio River. We're looking forward to grabbing lunch together. But Bob says to me, he says, Keith, I want to do something, just kind of give you a, a sense of my heart and ministry. I want to show you some places around the city before we grab lunch and then build out our agenda. I said, well, it's fine. Guess what we did? We visited a place called Pill Hill. Pill Hill is in Cincinnati, and you can Google it, where all the hospitals are. And we went from one hospital to another hospital to another hospital. Guys, I'm in my mid-20s. I'm a youth pastor. I'm like, wow, a lot of the people in this church sick, unhealthy? What's the deal here? Good Samaritan, University Hospital, and the list went on and on. So after about an hour or so, I'm like scratching my head, but here's what I captured in my heart. You know what Pastor Bob was saying? Keith, at the foundational level, pastoral ministry is one thing. It's shepherding the flock of God. It's caring for people in need. It's holding hands. It's praying. It's nurturing their souls. And I learned a great lesson, an invaluable lesson, almost 40 years ago from a pastor who gave his life uh, to ministry. Now, again, I want to encourage you, the relevance for this, regardless of your role in life, in society, the relevance of this talk is for all of us. And so, three uh, attributes of a shepherd. Number one, a shepherd sacrifices. A shepherd sacrifices. Talk to anyone in an agrarian society, the role of a shepherd, foundationally, a shepherd is constantly giving. Now, please remember, context is king, and the backstory of what Paul is addressing uh, he, he's sharing his heart. He wants him to know he, he really cares. But remember, there were accusations against Paul that he was a self-serving apostle. Destroy the messenger, destroy the message. They also said he was greedy. Let me show you that. The NLT translates it pretty well for Thessalonians 2.5. And he says, hey, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. That's an interesting translation. I think the NLT hits it on, on the head. They were accusing him of being self-serving. Why? There was a lot of traveling preachers in the ancient world. And sometimes they just put out their bucket and money would be dropped in. And they were accusing him of being self-serving. He says, no, I didn't come with that kind of ambition. I came with the heart of a shepherd. I'm sacrificial. 
And so what he does is he builds out at least one primary picture of the sacrifice that he gave to the church. Remember, Paul's philosophy, 1 Corinthians 9, he wants to be all things to all people to win some. So he really tailor-made his gospel. The gospel was the same, but how he ministered in different places was unique. So one of the unique sacrifices is found, look at your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul says this about his sacrifice. He says, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. Now let me show you an additional picture from his second letter to the Thessalonians. He says this in uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. He says, for you yourselves know how you must imitate us. We were not responsible, irresponsible among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, notice this, we labored and struggled, and this next phrase is important, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Same thing he says in the first letter, he says in the second letter, I didn't want to burden you. I didn't want to overwhelm you with our needs because we came to meet your needs. And then he says, it is not that we don't have the right to support but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. We went through the book of Acts and we saw a lot of ministry uh, with the Apostle Paul all the way from Acts 13 to 28. We know he sacrificed greatly, right? He was imprisoned, he was beat up, shipwrecked, bit by a snake. I mean, one thing after another, flogged. Paul sacrificed a lot. Here he's highlighting a work ethic, a financial sacrifice. Why? To not be a burden to the church, but to plant the church. Now, remember, when we went through uh, the book of Acts, Paul uh, was a tent maker. As a young Jewish boy, he got trained in a really cool skill. As a rabbi, he could work tent making. It was a very lucrative business. So here's what Paul is doing. He came to Thessalonica bivocationally. Don't miss the phrase. He's working day and night doing what? Paying the bills, putting food on the table. He wasn't a burden to the Thessalonians. But then the question is, when did he preach? He preached whenever he could. And so this was hard work. This was sacrificial labor. Now, friends, here's the deal. Paul could have expected uh, payment for his services there. That's just biblical. Let me show that to you. In 1 Timothy, he wrote this. He establishes the right for ministers to receive compensation or remuneration or a salary. He says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And then he goes back to the book of Deuteronomy. He says, for the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. And then the key concept the worker deserves his wages. And so Paul basically says, yeah, I had the right to receive. I had the right for remuneration, for compensation, but I gave up that right for a greater good. What was the greater good? To make sure the gospel would advance. But isn't it interesting, he sacrificed so greatly and he was still being accused of preaching for selfish gain, of being greedy, of passing the hat, if you will, too many times. How sad. 
And so he corrects that notion. And so when you think of shepherding in your context, regardless if it's parents, it's children, regardless of employer, employee, uh, students at school, uh, serving, blessing, caring for friends, any role you and I have as shepherds to people, it will take sacrifice. Now, let me show you a visual aid. I have three visual aids from the Agrarian Society. This is probably my favorite one. If you've seen how Jesus is depicted in the first few centuries, it's the good shepherd nurturing the sheep. Um, this is a cool picture. Notice the posture of this senior man. He's a hulk of a man. So I did a little bit of research. I was astounded. You know what the average adult male sheep weighs? Any idea? Just for fun? Yeah, between 100 and 350 pounds. That's a cow. That's not a sheep. 350 pounds? So John, do me a favor. Come on up here. Just come on up here, just, just for a moment. Because you reminded me of this guy. You don't have the cool hat on. But I'm like 155 and three-quarter this morning. What do you think it would feel like if you wrapped me around that hulk of a body and carried me a couple miles back to the sheep pen? Want to try it? All right, have a seat, man. I'm so glad you said no. That would have been weird. I was ready. I was prepared. But guys, this is the typical posture of shepherd to sheep. That's why when you see Jesus depicted in the first few centuries, you know what you see him? as the good shepherd, and he has the sheep around his, his shoulders. He's caring for us. This is sacrificial labor. This is hard work. It is raw toil. And so Paul says, church, I came with a pastoral's heart. I didn't come greedy like some. I didn't come wanting anything from you. I wanted to give. I wanted to be like Jesus and serve so the gospel would be planted. And so when you think in your unique role of shepherd, life group leaders, boy, how much you pour yourselves out to your communities. What a blessing it is to be like that, meeting needs. I'll never, ever forget that day with Pastor Bob Lowry going to Pill Hill in Cincinnati. But then I watched for 11 years him leaving the church office going and caring, driving in, holding hands, praying, nurturing, loving, blessing others. You know what was cool? Well, it's a sad story, but it's a beautiful story. Pastor Lauer retired, went to the mission field, spent a year in Abu Dhabi, came back, and he got Alzheimer's. And for about 15 years, he, uh, he really uh, had a rough time. And we had seen him over the course of those years. Here's what our church in Cincinnati did. As he cared for them for 35 years, they cared for him and his wife. $50,000 a year they gave to that dear family to say, June, we're with you. He cared, you cared, we're going to care for you in these very difficult days. Do you see the beauty of that? It's all about sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. Ultimately doing what? No greater love than one lay down his life for his friends, his sheep. So when it feels like hard work, when you feel like you're toiling, you're wrestling, when you're carrying the sheep, the sheep's 175 pounds, you can't take another step, 
take another step in his strength. Secondly, attribute number two, a shepherd nurtures. A shepherd nurtures. Look again at verses six and seven. This is one of the most beautiful and intimate passages from the Apostle Paul. He says this, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead, we were gentle among you. Notice this next metaphor, you guys. As a nursing mother nurtures her own children. Moms, you can relate, right? You know the intimacy of what this means. You know the caregiving of what's going on here. When a mother breastfeeds a child, an infant, and meets their most intimate needs, their basic needs, Paul is likening himself to that. Now, the word nurture is beautiful. And when you think about nurturing, think about caregiving, Think about TLC, tender loving care. Think about fostering the well-being of another. That is a beautiful concept, isn't it? To have someone else's well-being in mind, you're going to do everything to foster that, to care for that. Now, how many of you remember Chris the Sheep? Again, I uh, wanted to make it pretty visual this morning just to get your interaction. Remember Chris the Sheep when we went through Psalm 23? Tyler has this huge smile. Ellen and I, for some reason, when we discovered this story, Chris the Sheep is like our hero. So guess what happened to Chris the Sheep? Do you know what happened? He drifted from the fold, right? He was gone three years Here's the foundational truth of sheep to shepherd. A sheep is 100% totally dependent upon a shepherd. If a sheep doesn't have a shepherd, they're in trouble. Just imagine being lost for three years. Would you agree with me, Chris is a little bit overweight? You know, I don't know what the latest program is, but some sort of. But he's out there, and look at the wool. I mean, he's got enough wool on there to make blankets for a community, a village. But the thing is, Chris the sheep had a caring shepherd. And that shepherd kept looking for Chris the sheep. Let me show you, fast forward what happened. They found Chris. And there's Chris when he was uh, rescued. And friends, it's a beautiful picture. That's really what's going on in Nurture. It's caring, the well-being of Chris the sheep. One sheep matters. Remember what Jesus said? I'll leave 99 to pursue one. And if you're not aware of how dependent a sheep is on the shepherd, think of Psalm 23. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. His rod, his staff, they bring comforts. He prepares a table before me. He, the shepherd, is taking care of the sheep 100%. Sheep are absolutely dependent. And so, folks, when you think about this picture of nurture, think about how Chris the sheep was cared for. But now let's unpack a little bit that metaphor, nursing mother. Does that sound weird to you that Paul likens himself to a nursing mother? When I processed it a little bit, I said, nah, He's just using it as a metaphor, but the more I study 1 Thessalonians, understand the life and ministry of Paul, he was that caring, guys. Sometimes we have this 
imbalanced picture of Paul, hard-charging missionary. He'll take another one for the gospel, beat up, thrown into prison, let's keep going. And he comes into a town, preaches Christ, people get baptized, churches established, on to the next mission. Folks, that's only part of the Apostle Paul. He was a missionary evangelist, but boy, he had a tender heart. He says, I came to you gentle. I came to you nurturing. How? Like a nursing mother cares for their children. What a blessing. And so, um, again, visual today, just to connect a little bit more. Let me show you a really fun picture. Um, there's Peanut. So some of you know Peanut. This is Genesis Rose, our granddaughter. Every now and then a pastor has to talk about their grandkids, right? A few of you are smiling. Um, we're just so happy. So I watched Ellen for 30 years nurture three kids, and the nurturing keeps going, right? You know what's cool right now as grandparents? Seeing Aaron emulate Ellen. We were with them for a whole week. We had a family reunion, Mom 87, Peanut going to be two. And just watching the nurture of my daughter emulating the nurture of her mother. You know one of the nurturing things that Aaron has chosen to do? And this is not hyperbole, this is reality. Every night around 8 o'clock, FaceTime, we boot it up. Guess who's on the other end of the phone? Peanut. Nah, 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 nah. That's her vocabulary. And every now and then, Papa, Papa. So I grab the phone. Hey, it's me. For 30 minutes every night for the past year, my daughter has embraced this idea to check in with Nana, to check in with Papa, to do what? Nurture this little Genesis Rose in her faith journey. TLC, care, presence, life on life. What a blessing. You've heard the phrase, a mother's work is not her own and it's never done, right? 24-7 always pouring themselves out, that nurture, that TLC, profiling the unique needs. Paul further illustrates this value. Let me show it to you. Hold your uh, finger in uh, chapter 2. Let me show you verse uh, 14 of chapter 5. It's really beautiful. He says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid. And I love this next phrase, take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Isn't that a great phrase? Be tender with each other. Care for each other. Nurture each other. Now, Paul practiced what he preached. Let me show it to you. Back to our text. Look at verse 8. He says this, To the church, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel, notice this next phrase, but our lives but our own lives because you would become dear to us. And so what Paul is saying there is, listen, my ministry, our ministry in Thessalonica was life on life. We didn't keep a professional distance. We were intimate with you. We were caring with you. We shared our own lives with you. That's how personal it got. And so the need is real. Uh, for all of us to be nurtured and cared like that. Look around the room. We have Connect Sunday, right? Uh, it's such an important day at Westwind Church and other ministries being profiled, children, youth, men's, women, 
missions and so forth. But Connect Sunday is to help you do one thing, say yes to a life group. And folks, there's six or seven life groups that you could say yes to, and it's an encouragement. But when you do, you know what happens? The nurturing, the life on life, the distance shrinks, and we then become the body of Christ. And so we want to encourage you. We're going to hopefully end a little bit early just to uh, give you time to check out the life groups. And by the way, the Wilcoxons here, to my left, they're launching a new group, young couples group, but doesn't mean uh, old folks like me can't say yes. But by the way, they got meatballs. So in my opinion, that's where I'm stopping first. Meatballs, Trump, candy any day. And all God's people said? I like meatballs. All right. So check it out. Would you please um, connect? Let's see God do some great life on life. Finally, attribute number three. A shepherd instructs. And I love this. Look at verses 10 through 12. Again, metaphors. Paul is just big on them. Follow with me. He says, you are witnesses. And so is God. Again, he's calling for heaven to testify of the kind of ministry he had. Think of me differently, he's saying to the church. You're witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamely we conducted ourselves with you believers. And then another metaphor, it's beautiful. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and employed each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul uses a metaphor, a simile, father. Why does he do that? Because in the ancient world, the first century, the primary role of education came through the father. And so Paul basically is saying, hey, I came to you, yes, as a father, I was instructing. There's a great cross-reference in 1 Corinthians 4, I won't go there, but he told the church at Corinth, you got a lot of people feeding into you information. But he said, I came to you as a father. I came to instruct. I came to give God's word. I wanted to get you deeply rooted in this faith. Now, there's three verse Three verbs in uh, one verse, verse 8, and I want to unpack those to help you understand the heart of a shepherd instructor, shepherd teacher who fathers, if you will, the children of God. So three approaches. Number one, instruction through encouragement. Instruction through encouragement. Where do I get that? Look at verse 12. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged. And so foundationally, when you think of a father, think of an encourager, someone who's cheerleading for uh, the, child, the children of the home. Um, this is best illustrated, guys, because I spent a lot of time on the sports field, whether it was basketball or soccer or football. Uh, you just go to the stadiums, and what do fathers do? There's always a few who are a little bit out of control, but the average father is doing what to their children? cheering. Come on. Yeah, keep going. When have you heard a father on the sideline say, hey, coach, get my kid out of there. Too much time. No, but I have heard a few fathers say, what are you doing pulling my kid out of there? Right? They want their kid in. And then when the kid's feeling hurt or kind of, man, I missed a shot. It was a key shot. Hey, son, there's always another shot. Hey, just pick up the ball, run again. Who cares? That fumble was that fumble. Keep going. The father is on the sidelines cheerleading. And boy, it's beautiful. 
That's what it means to be an encourager. We looked at the word parakaleo uh, some time ago. It's used of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes alongside as a paraclete, called alongside, compound word, to support, to nurture, to encourage, to be there. Fun story. Again, I wanted to make this a little bit more engaging this morning. Let me show you a picture of our, our kiddos. Um, that's Jake and Seth, uh, twins, yes, identical. They played uh, ball uh, five years in uh, uh, Virginia, loved watching them, and then some in Ohio. Um, but I'll never forget this one time, because I was kind of an assistant coach helping out. Jake comes off the field, and Dad's over there, and he says, Dad, she's big, and she's hitting me. What do I do? I'm like, what do you mean she's big, and she's hitting me? The other team's got a girl on the team, and she's big, and she's hitting me, and she's hurting me. I was like, well, Jake, uh, I think you answered your own question. She's hitting you, right? It hurts, right? What do you think your coaches want you to do? Very good, Elizabeth. Yes, ma'am. I'm glad you said it. Return the favor. So there's dad. I'm like, I've never even thought about this. Is this God honoring? Should Jacob be like trying to crush some gal on the other team? Well, by the way, the gal is like twice his size. Jake's got, you know, he's just good bill, but he's kind of lean. I said, Jake, she's hitting you. You got to go for it, man. Do your best. I walked off to field that day, and man, I had a lot of soul surgery. Was that the best counsel I could give my son? And it was, because she was there to stay. In fact, in Virginia, they had gals wrestling the guys, and it was, it was kind of, it was interesting. But I just remember cheerleading for the kids. Five years, week after week, go, come on, stick with it. You know, do your best. That's what dads do. So... What does that mean for the people of God? Here's what it means, and it's so important. When you come in to West Wind Church, you see our table with literature, and there's a poster that Pastor Jason created on the one another's. A few months ago, we encouraged you for those one another's, but we left that poster out there for a reason. You know why? It's just this. It's 59 directives from Scripture to encourage. And how do we do that? 15 times it says love one another. 15 times the most dominant one another. It also says pray for one another, build up one another, forgive one another, admonish one another, exhort one another. Come alongside each other. That's what the one another's are about 59 times in the New Testament. And friends, if you don't have a good home for that poster, grab one, put it up there, remind yourself, choose one a day and say, today I'm going to build up. Today I'm going to pray for. Today I'm going to forgive. Lean into those. Let's be the body of Christ. Secondly, approach number two, instruction through consolation, through consolation. Look at verse 12 again. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged and comforted. And really what that means there is we came alongside as a counselor. We supported you in time of need. Uh, last week when we had the vision luncheon, a question was asked, so Keith, how, how did things go on your retreat with you and Ellen? You know, what was uh, some of the highlights? And I can tell you this for sure, just the, the support, the, the encouragement, the nurture, to be able to tell your story, to pray together, to get rest. What a blessing. That's what we're talking about. Being a safe haven for people who are struggling. 
We had a dear friend call midweek, and uh, rough road for her in her marriage. And um, can't go into all the details, but she was very, very broken. We talked for about a half hour and prayed together, and, and I called her husband the next day and talked and prayed, and, and then we powwowed yesterday for over an hour on the phone. And we're seeing progress, but folks, the reality is this is a godly couple struggling to figure out a God-honoring marriage, and they need people like you and me to come alongside. That's what we're talking about. And maybe it's not your day to receive, it's your day to give, but there will be a time where you'll be on the receiving end and people will be there for you. That's what Paul's saying. I comforted, I consoled, I was there as an encourager, supporting. And then finally, and it's beautiful, approach number three, instruction through urging. And I chose that word because I think it's really precisely what's going on in this verse. Look at verse 12 again. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, consoled, or comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so the urging is like a father where you just keep persistently urging the right thing. What's the right thing here? to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to testify of God's glory and grace in your life and mine. It's a beautiful picture. And so I'll close with this, and Joe Quick's going to come, and we're going to share a little bit. So come on up, Joe. Jeremiah 23, 3 through 4. God is looking for shepherds. And I want to encourage you, the application isn't just for pastors and elders, life group leaders, ministry heads. It's for each and every one of us, students. You can take these truths to school with your friends, on the ball field, be this kind of presence to people. So, Jeremiah, I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I have banished them, and I'll return them to their grazing land. Then they will become fruitful and numerous. And God's just saying, this is for Israel. I'm going to restore Israel at a point in time. But notice what he does when he restores Israel. And the application for us is, is equally true. I will raise up shepherds over them. Notice the phrase, who will shepherd them. And notice the beautiful result. They will no longer be afraid or dismayed, nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. God is looking for shepherds. And so when we shepherd as he designs, the values and heart of the Apostle Paul, great things can happen in people's lives and in ours. And so let me introduce you to a shepherd in our community. Uh, how many of you know Joe Quick? Come on up here. Quick, Joe. There we go. That was dumb. You got a, you got a mic? No. Joe Quick. So we have this partnership, and we're so excited, the Friendship Center. Uh, I just love this guy. Uh, he's given his life to the Drake community. Our church has done a variety of things. But uh, just imagine someone knows nothing about the Friendship Center, or you tell us big picture, a couple minutes about the Friendship Center. Okay. Uh, like I said, my name is Joe Quick. I'm the director of the Friendship Center. Uh, we are a nonprofit community center uh, in the MLK neighborhood. Uh, and we, because of Pastor Keith's help, we now change our mission statement uh, by offering real hope by meeting real needs. Uh, what, our, uh, what we want to do at the Friendship Center is obviously we have uh, communities, uh, races, cultures from all different areas 
uh, coming in through our community center, different religions coming in. Uh, but we want to show the love of Christ to anybody that walks through our door by meeting a physical, mental, or spiritual need. Hopefully, that spiritual need in knowing Jesus Christ is our Savior. So all our programming is due uh, to that. We have After School Kids Club. I think this just went out. Nope. Broke up. That's <laughs> my problem with baseball, too. Uh, so uh, uh, we, we do After School Kids Club. We have teen group. We have mental health classes. Uh, I'm someone that struggles uh, with I have PTSD and anxiety and depression through the military, so that's something that I value uh, highly is mental health. Uh, we do after school, like, I'm oh, sorry, I did after school kids club. We do summer camps. Uh, we've done Christmas adoptions before, uh, but now we're, we're going to switch that up this year because just with my own uh, experience with the last five years, buying Christmas presents for other kids and other families, uh, it's more of a disempowerment to the parents. Uh, we've noticed that when we've come in to drop off presents for uh, parents that couldn't afford it themselves, they feel ashamed, they feel embarrassed. So we are switching up that program now this year where we're asking uh, still for Christmas presents, but parents will be able to come and buy it at 80% off. So they're still having a saying in what they're purchasing for the gifts. It helps break that cycle of not only wanting, you know, expecting gifts, but then you're thankful for that first year, then you're, you're expecting the second year, and then you're dependent on the third year and we just kind of want to break that up. So uh, we are constantly looking at ways to uh, not only help the poor in a, in a godly manner, but not empower the poor to continue in that way as well. So uh, I've been there for five years. Uh, you guys have been a tremendous blessing to me since day one, uh, since I got there, uh, meeting Jason the first time uh, out there as well, um, the connection with him and his grandfather and Word of Life, which I went to college there. but. Uh, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, you guys have been a huge blessing to us, uh, and I'm grateful uh, for being here today with you. Yeah, amen. So we're going into the fall, and uh, we chose to make Friendship Center our fall partnership. And so we have three opportunities, and I just want to, if we could, Henry, we'll put those on the screen, and then maybe, Joe, you can uh, comment. This is, uh, you just came from the kids' ministry, right? Yep. yep. Sharon, tell us how the kids' ministry is going to connect with Friendship Center this, yep. uh, this fall. They started, they're doing a toiletry drive for us. Uh, we average probably about 50-some people a week. Uh, coming to the Friendship Center asking for uh, either clothing, uh, bed, uh, bedroom furniture, uh, toiletries. Um, we have a huge homeless camp right next to us. Uh, for those of you who don't know, King Elementary that we partner with has the second most homeless students population in all of Des Moines Public Schools. So we have a lot of families that basically don't have a permanent uh, street address uh, going to King Elementary. Uh, so they are more welcome to come here. Uh, and what makes us different is we don't require any IDs uh, for them to come in here, and we don't we give them uh, limits. Other pantries are, uh, give, you can only come like once a month, they can come every week if they need to. And it's not the same people coming every week uh, through uh, that. So what your kids club, sorry, not your kids club, your kids ministry here is gonna be collecting toiletries for us, because we simply, we can't, we can't meet demand. Uh, we used to do it once a month, now we do it every week. And like I said, we're doing two, 300 people a month coming through the center. Uh, looking for just basic supplies uh, to shower, to, uh, like I said, do laundry, whatever. So you guys are going to help us out with that. Yeah, very cool. We also have an all-church initiative. We'll talk more about that. And then life groups. We're trying to encourage our life groups this fall to do like a trick-or-treat or a trunk-or-treat. Mm -hmm. So we'll be highlighting that more. Joe, for prayer, how can we pray for you um, going into the new season, fall? Any, anything unique? Uh, prayer, uh, just recently we've had um, safety. 
people know the center is a safe place for teens and kids to come to, um, but for whatever reason, we've had a lot of domestic abuse situations happen at the center during these times. We, obviously, the neighborhood is ever flowing and changing, so I'm just praying for safety as we hold our events for kids. It can be traumatic to see that, uh, obviously. Uh, so just pray for safety as we do that events. The trunk or treat night, uh, we're having uh, outdoor games, inflatables. I have a, uh, a huge Hulk costume that I'm gonna be a part of. Last year, it was an eight-foot baby that everybody loved. Uh, so it's a really a big event for us and a good <laughs> outreach for us, uh, but just for safety uh, coming up. And obviously, being a nonprofit, being a ministry, and inflation uh, as it is, uh, ministry partners and donations have been down this year, which is expected, and that's fine. Uh, but just pray that we be uh, very good stewards of God's money uh, as whatever comes in. Uh, we are thankful and grateful for and you guys' partnership as well in that. Um, just praying for that and our, for our Christmas adoptions. This is going to be, like I said, the new, the new program is going to start this year. So we don't know how the community is going to react to that because they, they've expecting us to give presents and they've already been asking about it this year. Uh, but like I said, we don't want to disempower them. We want to help break the cycle of poverty. Uh, so we're trying this new program. So just, I guess, pray for God's blessing on that as we do that as well. And Kids Club, we just started up. We average about 20 kids. Uh, that come on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, we need meals there. So if you guys are more than willing, uh, it could be frozen, it could be bought in. Uh, we're not picky. Uh, we just want to give them something to eat. So, Yeah, amen. Well, this is a shepherd in our community. And I've seen Joe and team uh, in action many times, and it's been a joy to watch you serve the Lord. Very much the points we talked about today. You've Perfect. sacrificed a lot. You got a huge heart, and we just celebrate that. So let's stand. We're going to pray, and want to invite our worship team to come forward, and then we'll close out in song. And Father, uh, thank you for your servant, for his family, given so much to the Drake community and beyond. And we pray in Jesus' name that you'll continue to give him a shepherd's heart, Lord. It's hard work. It's sacrificial work. It's morning, noon, and night work. And Father, we thank you for all that you've accomplished in the past five years. And Joe's on a new journey with his leadership for vision and mission and all that. Uh, we pray that you'll bring uh, clarity and direction. We pray for this fall, for the change for Christmas. Oh, Father, please let the families embrace that and see the value of it. We pray for our partnership in other churches. There's many who say yes to this partnership with the Friendship Center. Uh, God, be pleased to make us generous with our time, our treasure, our talent, and touch. So we ask your blessing uh, on your servant in Jesus' name.